As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. going on everybody welcome back into another episode of the buffalo beat my name is joe biscalia thanks to you all for joining me on this episode we are recording this on thursday may 26th it is a couple of days removed from the first ota session that was available to the media this week we'll get a couple more over the next couple of weeks and then the uh the mandatory mini camp begins uh, in mid June, so there's uh, there's stuff to uh, to go over from what we saw in the, that first period of OTAs. But you know, I don't want to base the entire show around that, just because OTAs are often I don't know. It's just it's a good thing to see full practices, but at the same time, you're only making footnotes of what they do in OTAs. Like you're not going to make a team outright in these sessions because it's not, the teams don't consider it to be true football. Like it is specifically geared toward the passing offense succeeding because they're only practicing in helmets, uh, no pads of any kind, jerseys and shorts uh, only. And there's no physicality. Contact is very much uh, frowned upon and not allowed per the uh, per the collective bargaining agreement. So you have to construct a practice in a way that that will be able to, you know, give teams a chance to install some things and get their conditioning up, everything like that. Well, at the same point, not going too overboard with specific great <clears throat> things that you've seen from from players, uh, because oftentimes there can be some there, like a fool's gold aspect to it, and more more often than not, it happens with receivers, right? Because these practices are geared toward towards them. Like think back, Marcus Easley, um, Felton Huggins, <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, there, there are just so many Duke Williams, so many examples of 
players that, you know, had a solid OTA session. Hey, throw Isaiah Hodgins into the mix last year after he really stood out and then didn't make the team and wound up on the practice squad. It's just a little, you have to take it with a grain of salt and see how they establish themselves into training camp when the pads go on. Now, what they can do this uh, these three weeks is be able to uh, move themselves up the depth chart a bit when they get to training camp, give themselves some more opportunities based on impressing the coaching staff, and then the real analysis of that player starts to trickle out once they have to deal with the physicality and they have to run their routes and pads and everything like that. Like there are examples of of players that have gone right in this. Like Stevie Johnson, one of my first OTA sessions, Stevie Johnson was someone that stood out. His route running, everything was just top notch. And it was either his first or second year. I can't remember. I think it was, I think it was as a rookie and I took a mental note. I'm like, wow, this guy could really be something. And you know, we know what he wound up becoming, but that's not because of the OTA session. It's what he did after the OTA session, putting himself in position. Another one that stands out, not at receiver, but Nicole Roby Coleman, you know, played with his hair on fire uh, in OTAs, helped move him up the depth chart. And by the time the season rolled around, he was basically a starter at nickel corner. So there are examples of guys that can put themselves in a good position, but more often than not, it's it's fool's gold. So I don't want to base the entire show around it. Um, I, I, I mostly want to go into something I wrote earlier this week uh, and kind of interweave the, the OTAs and some things that we saw in that first session with, uh, with, how, uh, with the remainder of of what I wrote about, which was the 53-man roster projection. My very first one uh, of the 2022 roster. Might be a tad early, but I wanted to do it the day ahead of OTA starting because it gives us a good glimpse of maybe some of the things that the Bills front office are thinking about from a roster building perspective, special teams, you know, where they can afford to have an extra player, where they might have to cut back a little bit. I think there are some really good conversations and, you know, potential battles, maybe not even just position, same position versus same position, but like, you know, maybe it's a seventh receiver versus a sixth linebacker or a 10th defensive lineman versus a sixth cornerback. Like there, this is a lot of the things that you'll have to think about once the cuts start to come closer. So I want to take a little position by position look, maybe sneak in some thoughts from OTAs as we go through it and, you know, just discuss some of these. I mean, obviously a position like quarterback, pretty open and shut case because you know who the starter is going to be, who the backup's going to be, but some other spots are, have a, a little bit more teeth to it. So I wanted to dive straight into that. So let's, let's just start with how, you know, you normally go down the list with, um, uh, with positions. Quarterback, I think, is, like I just said, pretty open and shut. Josh Allen's the starter. Case Keenum's the backup. The only interesting thing to track will be whether or not they hang on to Matt Barkley on the active roster. I tend to think that they won't because he's really not at any sort of flight risk. Like, he wants to be in Buffalo. Um, unless something happens to one of Allen or Keenum in the summer leading up to it, 
I would expect that Barkley uh, will be among the final cuts and then they immediately bring him back to the practice squad. So that way he's a part of the roster, you know, continue to, continuing to support Josh Allen that way. It's the, that's the reason that they brought him back, to be in the room with Allen because the two of those guys get along as well as they do and then have Keenum be the, the primary backup. So that's that's not really... Uh, we don't really have to get too too much uh, more in depth than that. Then you get to running back, which, you know, a bit open and shut now that James Cook is here. I know some will want to think about um, Zach Moss against Duke Johnson. I just don't think the Bills are in a position to where, at least right now from what we've seen and maybe just having two more years of a really cost-controlled deal, I just don't know that the Bills want to want to get rid of Zach Moss, especially because they're only two off seasons removed from really believing in what he could become. So he's probably going to end up being the TJ Yeldon slash Matt Breda from the last few years where he's the inactive guy and Devin Singletary and James Cook are the two active players. At least that's how it looks right now. Um, just because Moss is he's he's behind in that respect. He could come through, have a great training camp, have a great preseason, and then they have to think about things. But I would tend to think that they they look at him as a depth depth piece at this point. And, you know, Duke Johnson was a fine player a few years back, had a, had a nice little resurgence last year. Um, but I just, I can't see them moving on from any of their three younger guys for Duke Johnson. Taiwan Jones is kind of an interesting one just because, you know, he's now entering his age 34 season, um, might not have the same sort of explosiveness that he did when he was younger on special teams. They also have changed their special teams coordinator from Heath Farwell, who requested that Jones was brought back to uh, Matthew Smiley. But um, I have him on just for now. But that's that's one. I think he's more on the bubble now than than he was the past couple of years. If if some of these other special teams guys start to step up. We go into wide receiver because, um, and this is this is one that I think gets a little bit more compelling. Uh, I think five of these guys are in, being Diggs, Davis, Crowder, um, Isaiah McKenzie, and Khalil Shakir. I mean, those ones are obvious. Diggs and Davis are their starters. Crowder, they just signed, and he has a, a lot of his contract to be guaranteed, even though it's a low-level contract. Uh, McKenzie, they just brought back, so he's not going anywhere. Khalil Shakir, they're going to keep around because they moved up to select him in the early fifth round. So those five are in. Then it comes down to the the top three uh, of the bubble list would be Marquez Stevenson, Jake Kumaro, and Isaiah Hodgins. Now Stevenson is where I want to start to get into what we saw at OTAs because I saw some things that I liked from him and I saw some things that I certainly did not like from him. You know, he, he ran... One of the best routes I've seen him run uh, against, oh, who was it? It was cornerback. Oh, it was Christian Benford. That's who it was. Uh, the rookie from Villanova, the six-round pick. He completely turned uh, Benford around on, the, uh, on his breakdown. And then as soon as he knew that he had Benford in a bad position, he broke, broke it off and continued, continued his route. And... It was beautiful. The separation was there. Uh, Benford needed a while to recover. Um, this was like Stevenson 
is really fast and dynamic in that way. But I haven't seen him move quite like that from a route running perspective. So that was that was a good sign. The unfortunate part about that rep in particular is that he completely blew the catch opportunity because the ball was on time, thrown right to uh, right between his face mask and like his his upper chest area, and it went through his hands and either hit him in the low face mask or uh, at the top of his chest, one or the other, because it it bounced off of him and and fell to the turf. That was one bad thing, and then. You know, he had another drop along the sideline later on in practice. And, you know, one practice is not what you, you know, center your entire evaluation of a guy on. But a receiver, where he's supposed to shine in these these instances, that is something that he you know, maybe not even overcome. He just needs to improve upon the next time we see him, next few times we see him over the next uh, few weeks here. But he's in contention here. To make the roster, on my 53-man, I had him in, but I don't know that it's a guarantee. Isaiah Hodgins is someone that's it's going to push for a spot, but doesn't offer much on special teams, and that is really going to hurt him. Jake Kumro is another one that I think has a, a, a pretty logical chance to make the roster. I have him being cut, but not because that they want to move on from him, but just because he's a vested veteran and they could bring him back without subjecting him to waivers. He's one of those prime candidates, only had, only on a one-year deal. Um, I, I think I think he could definitely be in the mix for that if they wanted to get someone to injured reserve that maybe has been dealing with something. You know, Tredavious White being the obvious candidate there, and then they sideline White for four weeks. You know, resign Jay Kumaro, everything like that. So that's that's a position. But Marquez Stevenson to me. It could, the variables are on him are higher than than anyone here because he's a late round guy from last year. You know they brought him up to be the kick and punt returner. He didn't really go terribly well for him. Uh, they wound up favoring a punt catcher down the stretch and into the playoffs. Didn't want to give him that that um, huge role in a big spot as a rookie. And if someone beats him for the kick and punt returner job, then what exactly is his function on the roster? Like, should they give him a roster spot because of it? No, they, they, they don't have to do that. You know, that maybe they think they could sneak him onto the practice squad. Um, It's just, he, I think the only way that he guarantees himself a spot on the 53 is if he wins the kickoff and punt return job. And if he doesn't, if he struggles in that area, then he is very much on the bubble. So that's a to-be-seen um, position because past the, the top five, a lot of questions. So I'm intrigued to see how that kind of plays out. Tight end, um, I think this is fairly open and shut. You know, Reggie Gilliam I had making the roster with the running backs as a fullback. He can also be, um, he can also moonlight as a tight end. So we'll see some of that. Dawson Knox is in. OJ Howard is in. I have Tommy Sweeney making it um, because of, he's just beloved in, in the locker room. And sometimes it's good to have what 
McDermott has often alluded to as a glue guy. Like he called McKenzie a glue guy last year. Tommy Sweeney, I think, is another one of those to where, you know, maybe not the best pass catcher, maybe not the best blocker, but you know he's going to work hard every single day. And as long as you don't have to subject him to a huge role like they did last year in the Jacksonville game, I think I think he's fine just to have um, on your team game day and active, everything like that. You, you could try and sneak him on the practice squad, but I would probably think that they want to they want to keep him around, but that's just for now. He's a bubble guy, in my opinion. Had him making it over um, Quentin Morris, who I think will be another practice squad candidate again this year, and the undrafted player Jalen Weidermeyer, who you know struggled a bit uh, with ball security. You know, certainly knowing his assignments early on in OTAs. Don't don't go overboard with that. Like he's a young guy, and he's got to learn coming from a college system that, you know, maybe has to rework his entire blocking structure. Just, I think he's a practice squad candidate and I don't, he's got to go a pretty far ways, I think, to uh, think about making the 53, but I do think that they like him enough to invest a practice squad spot in him um, when is, when all is said and done. Then we go to the offensive line, um, which I think the starting five, we can basically put them in pen. Dawkins, Saffold, Morse, Ryan Bates, and Spencer Brown. You know, they just matched a, a pretty good contract for Ryan Bates. So I would be pretty surprised if he's not starting for them. Saffold, obviously, is going to be a starter. And then Morse, Dawkins, and Brown are returning from last year. Past that, the depth is not that great. And this is a spot where I think we could see some changes um, by the time the regular season rolls around. Their top four depth options right now are Cody Ford, Tommy Doyle, David Kesenberry, and Greg Mates, who, like, the, the last two have starting experience. Cody Ford has some starting experience. But it doesn't mean that it was all that great of starting experience. If if you know what I mean. Cody Ford, some games, it looks like he's getting it. And then other times, he's one of the worst players on the field. They wound up benching him in the first month of the season last year. Like They know that he's probably best as a reserve guard at this point. But he doesn't really offer them much versatility whatsoever. We know he can't play tackle at this point, and the Bills have admitted as much by how they've used him, both in practices and um, over the past few years, or the past two years, excuse me, and what we saw in game when he did play tackle. Tommy Doyle is someone that they're going to count on to become that reserve swing tackle, potentially, or if he doesn't show that he's ready enough, David Quesenberry, who um, they signed late in in the free agent process, yeah, they, they could they could look at him as someone that could fill in uh, if one of Deion Dawkins or or Spencer Brown um, cannot play. This is this is I think their 
their biggest weakness right now, the depth of their offensive line, because they just really don't have a sustainability factor that you can rely on. Like last year, even though it wasn't great, you knew you were going to get a certain level of play from guys like Ike Butker or when he became when John Feliciano became a reserve player. You knew that you there was a certain standard that he was going to get you to. The rest the guys that are there now are just a complete unknown. Because, like I said with Cody Ford, kind of all over the place from one game to the next. Um Doyle has not really taken many crazy amounts of uh of of um snaps in a game and then we just don't know how Quesenberry and Greg Mance will fit in to this offensive line and and what they're trying to do this year. So I would look to this grouping, the depth of that group to be something that they look to add to um with maybe guys who are getting cut or guys who are just kind of sitting around until the start of training camp because they don't want to sign anyone, sign with anyone and, and go participate in off-season workouts. I mean, more power to them if, if that's what they want to do. I know the one, the one player that, that keeps coming up is like, hey, would the Bills go back and, and re-sign Daryl Williams? Maybe, but I'm skeptical for a couple of different reasons. One being that the Bills cut him from a really lucrative contract that would have paid him a ton of money. And I mean, think about it. If you were in his shoes where maybe you have a couple of offers from a couple of different teams and one of them did not just directly prevent you from making upwards of seven, $8 million that year. I'd probably go with the other team. I mean, you know, maybe it really just depends on the personality and where they want to be the most. But, you know, I, I could see there being some salt there from, from that position. It's just human nature more than anything. And then secondly, I'm not sure he's a, an exact fit for what they want to do with their offensive line this year. They have really gravitated towards some athletic offensive linemen and... Daryl Williams does not fit that profile. He is a bit, has a bit of heavy feet, slower mover. You know, if they're going to be employing more zone principles, pin and pull, that's not really his game. He needs to get downhill, power. Like, sure, they'll, they'll probably mix in some power, power stuff in there because they, they've been kind of doing a lot. But I do think that they, they want to do more zone. Um, Aaron Cromer is, that's where he just came from with the LA Rams a couple of years ago where they did a lot of uh, zone blocking. Doesn't mean that he, that's necessarily what they're going to do, but it's something that has long been, has long interested head coach Sean McDermott. So I wonder if maybe this is the year that they really start to implement it. But, so that those are, those are the two reasons why I think they might go elsewhere to find another player to to come into that that reserve depth in uh, offensive line, but you never say never because there was a relationship before just the just his past couple of years with the Bills. So, regardless, 
I think that's a spot that you can look to go and okay, that that might look different. And then, you know, the cuts really aren't that surprising. Like Bobby Hart, Jacob Capra, those are the top two guys that I had them moving on from. And then Ike Butker would be on the physically unable to perform list because he's still rehabbing from a uh, a torn Achilles late last year. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, to the defense now. Um, start with edge rusher, and this is open and shut to me. Von Miller, obviously. Greg Russo, obviously. Boogie Basham, um, AJ Epinesa, and Shaq Lawson. I think those five guys are locked in. The only thing, well, I'll say two things. The only two things I'll mention here are if Shaq Lawson, they just don't see any semblance of the same guy. But again, like like Tommy Sweeney, Shaq Lawson is one of those glue guys at this point of his career. Like the talent, what he was earlier in his career, it's probably not going to be that guy ever again. You know, there, there's a chance. And he's a good run defender, but like those high sack total seasons or higher sack total seasons of um, previous years in his career... I just don't know that he's going to get the opportunity to do that again. So Lawson might be the only one that's kind of on the bubble, but I'm guessing he's in. AJ Epinesa is the only other one I'd keep my eye on just because if if he doesn't show them signs of life in this training camp and show that he can do something for them this year, maybe they look to move him for a draft pick and trying to, to recoup some of the uh, some of the draft capital that they used on him, it's not going to be a a second for AJ Epinesa or anything like that. Especially if they're dealing him in his third season, it's going to be someone buying low to see if they can uh, see if they can get something out of him that the Bills couldn't. So probably something like a fifth, sixth round pick. You know, it it really all depends what is worth it more to the Bills. Is it a roster spot and an extra? fifth or sixth round pick or AJ Epinesa and giving them 30 to 35% of snaps on, uh, on their defense. So that's the only one I'd I'd keep my eye on. I would tend to think that they keep him around, but if they feel really good about some other guys pushing to make the roster, he's one of those guys on the potential trade line where I'm like, okay, maybe I could see that. Defensive tackle, another one pretty open and shut here. The defensive line in general, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips. Um, Those four guys are in no other way around it unless one of them gets injured. The one guy I really wanted to make room for, but I just 
The Bills kept 10 defensive linemen last year, and I just can't see them doing that again. Eli Anku, or sorry, Eli Anku, um, the defensive tackle, they brought him up from the practice squad last year. And I really like the way that he played, but he's a bit of an older player. Like, you wouldn't think it because he was on the practice squad and kind of bounced around, but Eli Anku is going to be turning 28 um, in early June. You know, it's just, it's one of those guys that I think they could subject to waivers because I don't believe he's a, I don't think that he is a um, eligible to be a vested. I'll, I'll check that out. But I think they could subject him to waivers and be okay uh, and still be able to get him back. Actually, you know what? I think I think he would be considered a, a vested veteran. So they, they could bring him back and not subject him to waivers. I'll, I'll check on that for sure. But there is that potential because he does have an accrued season in Jacksonville, two accrued seasons in Jacksonville, uh, one in Cleveland in 2019, uh, one in Dallas in 2020, and then in 2021, um, you know, he played, played for the Bills. So uh, that could... That could help his chances of, or that could help the Bills' chances of saying, okay, look, we really like you, but just can't find an, an open roster spot because, you know, there's, can't keep 10 defensive linemen. So, yeah, he's, he's someone, yeah, he, he would qualify for vested veteran, um, confirmed because on NFL.com, he's, he's got five years of experience. So he's, he would be good to go. Don't have to subject him to waivers. Um, and they could bring him back to the practice squad. So uh, I think they'll they'll uh, keep him around in that capacity. All right, linebacker. This is where this is kind of an interesting one. Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Terrell Bernard are all in. Tyler Matakavich is in. Um, those four guys locked. I would say Tyrell Dotson is probably a lock. Maybe I think there's a case that that maybe he's not. Um, he's he's probably closer to Andre Smith and Balen Specter than he is Matikavich. So I'll, I'll lump Dodson onto the bubble just for now. Dodson and Smith uh, will battle the seventh-round pick, Balen Specter, out of Clemson to see who will make it on the 53-man roster. And I don't know that it's necessarily th- uh, three guys fighting for two spots. It could be three guys fighting for one spot. Uh, depending on how the rest of the how the rest of the the roster is is setting up, whether or not they want to keep a seventh receiver, or they want to keep an extra running back, or keep a fourth tight end, maybe they want to keep e- Elianku. Um, maybe cornerback is something somewhere that they want to keep an, an extra body. Maybe they want to keep seven. You never know. Maybe they want to keep. Matt Hawk to be the full-time holder. I mean, we've seen a kickoff specialist before. We'll get into that. Because, uh, you know, I can't go too far without talking Puntapalooza. But linebacker, Dodson, Smith, and Spectre all kind of give them something a little bit different. Dodson has a little bit more experience on defense. Has struggled at times. Has shown some flashes of athleticism. And, you know, in being good in pass coverage. He's mostly a special teams guy. Andre Smith, 
purely a special teams guy at this point. And the reason why I think it's not necessarily a lock that they keep six linebackers this year is because of Terrell Bernard. I think Bernard is going to turn into a core four special teams player and be out there 100% of snaps. And he is essentially taking the roster spot of AJ Klein. And AJ Klein last year played around 30 to 40% of special team snaps. Those other three guys that we've been talking about, Matikavich, Dodson, and Smith, all 100%ers um, when they were healthy enough to play. So if you have Bernard taking 100%, and then you're only keeping Dodson or Smith around for the 40%, then it might not make all that much sense to you to keep them in that role if it's not a a a pretty important one to how your special teams winds up playing. So I could definitely see the Bills cutting down to five linebackers because of that reason. Now they'll have to find those 30 to 40% of uh, special team snaps somewhere else. Maybe it's A.J. Epinesa. Maybe it's O.J. Howard. Maybe it's Tommy Sweeney. Um, Maybe it's a a corner or a safety that hadn't been getting uh, as much run. But they have to make it up somewhere. So maybe, maybe they would just wind up keeping six and, and keep the same thing standard. But they have gone with five before. So just keep an eye out on, out on that. I think Balen Specter is someone, I know some fans are like, oh, I would keep Balen Specter. I get it. He's a seventh round pick. Linebackers are generally pretty easy to, to get past waivers because, you know, they're, it's not a heavily sought after position, especially for young guys. Every team has a bunch of them. I think they could get him to the practice squad. I, I, I honestly do. The question is, do they need Andre Smith or Tyrell Dotson? That's that's something that has to be answered as we go, go forward. Um, cornerback. And we know that Tredavious White, Kyir, Elam, Taron Johnson, Dane Jackson, Saran Neal, they're all in. That's That's five players. Kind of wonder if this is another spot where they look to add a veteran just because if beginning of the season, Tredavious White can't, can't play. Which, by the way, wanted to go back to Sean McDermott's comments before the OTA session this past Tuesday. It was as optimistic as I've heard the Bills be about Tredavious White. They didn't give much information. McDermott said he's on schedule. Uh... And he's working hard. And the thing that stood out to me was McDermott going, I'm impressed with with how he's attacking this. Which maybe gives you a little bit of a viewpoint into them thinking they can look at things on an optimistic standpoint. Probably a bit of a reach. But still it was the most positive sounding that that they've been so far. But if Tredavious White can't play early on, then you're left with Kair Elam and Dane Jackson as your two starters, which isn't bad. But your primary reserve is Saran Neal. And Saran Neal, he is an awesome special teams player. He is 
somewhat of a liability as a boundary cornerback. And we've seen that quite a bit. You know, he's shown, he shows some flashes because he's got great athleticism, long arms, big body. You, know, you would think he's, he's a good fit for it, but it's just he gets beat in that position. So I wonder if maybe they, they bring in a veteran player, maybe sign one to the practice squad, call him up for the first few games until Tredavious White is ready to play. That's just one to keep an eye on. I have them keeping Christian Benford in this iteration of the roster projection. This was one of my last second switches. I at first had Elijah Griffin in there because I think they they like him quite a bit. They signed him to a two-year reserve futures deal, which nobody else did. So I think there is, they do see some potential there. And I think he's more of a nickel corner than, than anything else. Just fits that profile quite a bit. Does really well from that perspective. Um, but I had them keeping Christian Benford over him because I think they're still trying to figure out what Christian Benford's going to be. You know, they mentioned the idea that you know maybe he could be a cornerback. They're going to try him out there first, and but then also said, you know, or maybe he ultimately goes goes to safety. Just really depends how he fits in. But the one name to keep an eye on, actually a couple names to keep an eye on here. The one guy that stood out to me during OTAs that, you know, didn't, don't know really what to expect. And OTAs, you have to kind of keep a, like, like I said before, has to be a bit of a in-perspective view of those practices. You don't want to get too over, go too overboard. But when a defensive back shines in that type of setting that is geared towards the passing offense, that's one that I think you can kind of go, okay, let's see what what they do at training camp. Those are the types of performances that kind of catch your eye. And to me, Nick McLeod was one that like did not have any expectations of of how these cornerbacks would look and how these defensive backs would move around. But McLeod, to me, was excellent. He was driving on the ball. He was breaking up passes. He was communicating well with his teammates. Um, he was in the right positions more often than not. Uh, he definitely gives them an air of versatility. I think he's a sneaky one to keep an eye on here for uh, for the 53-man. And at worst, a lock for the practice squad. Now, don't forget that McLeod is someone that was actually claimed on waivers last year. Claimed by the Cincinnati Bengals, wound up getting cut in early November, and the Bills immediately brought him back. So if there is a spot, like let's say the Bills go, okay, we only need five linebackers because Terrell Bernard fills in the special teams void. And they can do away with one of Dotson or Andre Smith. It could, I could definitely see them keeping a guy like Nick McLeod and going, okay, let's watch this guy develop. Maybe he is the answer as the depth piece that they're missing right now. Because White, Elam, Dane Jackson, it's a solid top three. They're missing a fourth at this point. And I think McLeod has some potential there. So just just keep an eye on him. Elijah Griffin's another one. Cam Lewis, 
Yeah, he's been there for seemingly ever at this point. Um, always looks good in these practices. Always uh, steps up in training camp and is like on that borderline bubble. But they also know that they can get him to the practice squad. So that's where I kind of go, okay. I would expect they follow the same track again this year with Cam Lewis, even though they like him. So cornerback's an interesting one as well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, then that brings us to safety, which obviously the headliner here is what's going on with Jordan Poyer. Uh, the Bills keep saying that they've communicated with him at uh, Micah Hyde's charity softball game. McDermott said he had a good conversation, but then went on to say, you know, business is business right now and that they're just focused on the players that are here but that they wish Jordan Poyer was there Poyer obviously wants a new contract um, or an amended contract for 2022 because as an all pro last year feels a bit undercompensated I get it these things happen these times of year especially when you have guys outliving their contract but it all comes down to how the Bills want to play this because they've got two safeties well into their 30s. Well, not well into. Um, into their 30s, I think, is the way to put it. But they're a dynamic starting duo. And you want those two guys to be there. And they don't really have a quality second option right now. Their depth behind them is DeMar Hamlin and ja- Jaquan Johnson. Hamlin is someone who I think that they have some hope for. Johnson has gone from showing promise and potential in his first couple of years to kind of settling into a a special teams role. I could definitely see Hamlin passing him um, this summer. And that's something that Brandon Bean alluded to potentially could be happening this summer for Hamlin. So maybe Hamlin has some starting experience but that's a lot to expect out of a later round pick and i just actually posted a another piece today over at the athletic about looking well into the future about what their 2023 draft needs could be and safety to me is one of their their top ones for obvious reasons poyer free agent at the end of the year in his 30s hide free agent after 2023 in his 30s their only depth are a couple of late round guys and Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson, who also Jaquan Johnson is going to be a free agent after the 2022 season. So yeah, that's, that's one that they're going to want to get settled with Poyer and just go through 2022, but not a lot of drama outside of getting the Poyer situation handled. Once that happens, we know who their top four is going to be, and they're going to go from there. And that brings us to the specialists. Tyler Bass going to be the kicker. Reed Ferguson going to be the long snapper. There is no competition for either one of those guys. And then 
the Puntapalooza. Matt Areza, Matt Hawk, two mats, one punter job. I have yet to see Matt Areza punt a ball so far. Um, didn't see it in rookie minicamp. Didn't see it first day of OTAs. They uh, they went inside the field house for the punting portion of the program. So that's uh that's something that we that we have to wait to see a little bit more of. Uh, the big question is how comfortable Matareza will be uh, catching and and holding on field goal and extra point attempts. And that's something he has to kind of work through and and get get closer to being because he hasn't has to hasn't had to do it before. But that's you know I kind of said it in jest, but maybe they really like Matareza as as a punter, and they're like, well, we don't want to sacrifice what's going on with our field goal unit, and because Tyler Bass was one of the best kickers in the league last year, what if they keep Matt Hawk as a holder? And a backup punter. We have seen more ridiculous things in the NFL than that. Actually, I don't know that we have. <laughs> if I'm honest, I know, I know it's. Um, I don't think that they want to move on from Matareza, but they need to know that they can trust him in as a holder. So it'll be an interesting one. I mean, we've seen. A Bills team in the past have a kickoff specialist. Jordan Gay was the kickoff specialist. Is it really out of that realm of the possibility? I mean, I would say having a kickoff specialist is more absurd than having a holder. A designated holder. Only because points are on the line when it comes to having a holder. You know, maybe the the kickoff specialist... You can argue field position more than anything, but points reign supreme. So I would probably, if I had to, where did, how did we get here? If I had to rank holder versus kickoff specialist, I would think holder would just be a cut above. However, I would not keep a player for that one purpose. Just not, it does not offer anything else on your roster other than that yeah so we'll we'll see it's a big old we'll see um for the punting and kicking but i will be interested as the first time we do see both of these guys punt and the puntapalooza will commence all right i think that's gonna do it for me this uh has been a good base as we're getting back back into the flow of things here the 2022 campaign has started with the offseason workouts beginning. Um, and we're going to have some more episodes as we go through the, the offseason here. Uh, our next episode will be happening on Tuesday. And I guarantee you're going to want to tune in for that because uh, we're going to have a special guest on for, for that episode. So stay tuned for that. Again, that'll be posting on Tuesday. Uh, very excited to to get this person on. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Um, and then uh, we'll go over some of the OTAs um, and really the bills in general from from a yeah from a macro perspective. I think that's that's going to be be the way to go about it. OTAs next Tuesday. Um, I think that's that's the plan anyway. We haven't heard official word just yet, but uh, 
I would assume we're going to get access on, on Tuesday. And then we'll, we'll have some more episodes as we go. All right. So that'll do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for your continued support. And we will talk to you next time right here on The Buffalo Beat.